Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. I'm so glad that you're here with me today to listen to Olia's story. Olia is Ukrainian, and she spent all of her summers in Mariupol, where she dashed through these massive food markets. She ate dried fish with her grandparents in their home, and she picnicked on the beaches alongside tourists from around the world, including, of course, their neighbors, the Russians. Since 2014, things changed uh, for the worse in Mariupol when they began to repel multiple sieges one after another from the Russians. These rounds of assault and resistance had become so commonplace, however, that Olya's grandmother, who worked at the now famous, well, infamous Azovstal steel plant, and the rest of Olya's family never suspected that full-scale besiegement would really break out on February 24th. But of course, as you know, it did. And for 20 days, Olia, who now lives in Austin, Texas, lost touch with her grandmother and aunt. They had no information about them almost at all. Meanwhile, Olia was using her training as a historian to meticulously track the information that trickled out of Mariupol. Finally, after 30 days in a basement amid shelling, as she says, it was not even safe to cook. And as Olia's grandmother's health began to fail, Olia's aunt decided that she would rather die trying to escape than die in that basement. So this is Olia's account of Mariupol as it was. It's her story of living through the first hundred days of Russia's assault on Ukraine. It's her explanation of why she believes Russia will never fully succeed in their mission this time. And she tells us a lot about how she's preserving recipes as an act of resistance and hope and just uh, a a necessary work um, for a historian to do right now. I'm so ready to jump into this episode with you. Um, You will hang on her every words. I had five kids in the back of the van um, as I was playing this back for notes, and every single one of them told me, don't stop it (laughs) when we got where we needed to get. So uh, before we do begin, however, I just ask one thing. Would you please subscribe to the podcast in your player right now? If you happen to be listening from my website, thestoriedrecipe.com, instead of a player, that's no problem. Right there where you are, you have uh, four buttons. You can hit any one of those to subscribe and get future episodes. All right. Thank you. Here's Olia. So, I mean, what does that feel like? Are you kind of just always, or do you just live and breathe news from Ukraine right now? Um. Yeah, that's a great question. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I guess things have been very different from day to day in terms of like where I am mm. <laughs> mentally, I guess. Uh, and I use the the information, like the news, um, whether it's, you know, reading articles or just looking at kind of not reporting by reporters, by but the information that comes from you know just people, mm-hmm. um, and, people and that, on the ground. Exactly. Yeah. So like through social media channels, um, and I'm talking about primarily like 
Telegram mm-hmm. and Viber and you know WhatsApp, those types of apps mm-hmm. where people are using those as a way of communicating, sharing information. Um, literally, you know, like there's groups that are like, you know, looking for these people or um, does anybody know what's happening in this neighborhood? There's like, the yeah, Mariupol was like an, an insane example of that because um, there would be like telegram groups of, mm. eventually it started with just one large like Mariupol live type of group and then there were like neighborhoods and then sub neighborhoods and then like streets that had their own telegram channel um yeah and that's how people would like share information of who's alive what state are the buildings in like what was bombed because there was no other way to access anything um because there was well no internet since Mm -hmm you know, the beginning of March or end of February. I can't remember when they cut off the mm-hmm. the, the internet. Um, but that was like, and that data, of course, wasn't like live because mm-hmm. people would have to get out to share that. So mm-hmm. everything was also like days behind. It, it honestly felt like we were both in the future where I was constantly on my phone, but none of that information was like live which is just Mm. disorienting you know because we are live in a world where everything is like kind of at our fingertips and to be cut off um was um very uneasy Mm. um yeah so we like didn't know anything about our family for like over 20 days i think um just because bc Mm. warfare was in full mode in Maria. yeah yeah, well, yes. Let's 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 do that. Let's just go right into this story of what's happened with your family and then we can go into the other questions cuz we're here, so let's stay here. Um tell me what family uh so first of all, is it I I don't know how to pronounce the name of the city properly. Um t- tell me again. It's Mariupol. Uh, yeah, Mariupol, I think is Mariupol. anglicized. Uh, Mariupol is the Mariupol. Yeah, okay. what people say in Mariupol. Of course, right, yeah. in Ukrainian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, so first of all, let's 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 really walk through this slowly. What is the significance? Why was this city? I mean, I watch um a lot of Zelensky's addresses at the beginning, I was watching them really daily. Um, and I feel like the city was almost immediately, I mean, maybe by day two or even three, he was talking specifically about the city. Why did Russia target Mariupol? Oh, yeah. Um, I think one of the most common explanations, well, there's several, like one, it's strategic, it's a port city. It, it's like a bridge between Crimea and you know, Russia. Mm. Uh, But the other answer is that um, when the war first broke out back in 2014, um, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Donetsk um, cited like the resistance won there. So like the pro-Russian party like turned Donetsk into a Putin, you know, um, hub Mm -hmm. uh, while the same they tried doing the same thing in Mariupol and that mm-hmm. failed. Uh and Mariupol stayed Ukrainian and pro-Ukrainian. And um there was 
of resistance there um, mm-hmm. and, and they secured it. And so since 2014, then there's been a lot of Ukraine secured it in 2014. Yeah. Uh-huh. I yeah. See. It, it did not sort of crumble or um, not crumble. Mm-hmm. That's not the best word, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like Donetsk, yeah, Donetsk went pro Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mariupol uh, fought off the Russian uh, influence. And, and I mean, there was already fighting happening mm-hmm. there in 2014, but Mariupol kept pushing them out, Russians out, pro-Russians I see. Um, out of there. And so Mariupol um, has been, there's a lot of like, yeah, there's a lot of, I guess, history at this point. It's been almost 10 years of yeah. um, like conflict. And even though there's been like, you know, ceasefires declared, there's still been fighting going on, on and off mm-hmm. for like almost 10 years in that, mm-hmm. in that region. And so I think they just wanted to destroy the city because of what happened in 2014. Mm. So uh, it sounds like three things. One, it's strategic because it's a port city. Two, there was almost a grudge against the city that had held on for so long. And three, if it is right there on the border, I, I'm, I'm, guessing that Putin at least thought whether he was right and wrong, that there were still some sympathizers in there that might help him. Is that true? Um, I mean, sure. Of course there's sympathizers Mm. everywhere, but yeah, Mm. there wasn't uh, enough of them. (laughs) There weren't enough of them. I see. And it's not quite on the border. It's close Mm. to the border. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, a car ride of like two hours, I think Mm -hmm. uh, from the Russian border. Okay. Um, So yeah, but so, it's right in the middle, you know, because uh, Russia in 2014, you know, annexed Crimea, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And Crimea and Mariupol are kind of on the same um, uh, um, coastal plain, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. It's just Mariupol is like right in between Crimea and Russia. Okay. So then um, since 2014, I guess between 2014 and, you know, February 24th, Mm-hmm. Um, how much of your family was there and were there, uh, members of your family that were like actively involved in, um, y- you know, it sounds like there were just these frequent skirmishes, you know, Russia was kind of always trying, you, the city was always resisting. Were, was family involved in that before 20, uh, February 24th? I mean, no, uh- or I mean, can you not say? Yeah, I mean, I rather not go into the mm. details, but I understand um, it involved meaning they were there, right? Mm. Like they didn't leave when things got bad mm. in 2014. Um, like they stayed. My mm. nobody, like none of my cousins left. My none of like my grandma didn't go. Like my aunt didn't go anywhere. Um, her partner, um, his his kids, like her stepkids, I guess, um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. everybody stayed like there wasn't the same type of, um, you know, exodus, if you will, Mm -hmm. like the people just continued with their, with their lives. Although there was like, you know, shooting in the background. (laughs) Right. And so even just staying is an act of courage, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I think so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So did they, um, it was confusing, you know, leading up to February 24th, certainly for the people in our country, you know, 
there were messages, I think, coming from Zelensky, like, oh, he's not going to invade. Now, whether those were strategic or, or he really believed that, who knows? But did you have a sense of like, if your family, was there like a sense of impending doom from them? Or do you do you know what their sense was? I think the sense was closer to, because this has been going on for so long yeah. in that part of Ukraine. Mm. I think people were just kind of in a place where you know, the, okay, well, there's some fighting going on, on and off. Mm-hmm. I can still, you know, go to the store, live my life, go to work mm-hmm. type of thing. But um, what happened on the 24th, I, that would, that was unprecedented, like yeah. the scale of that mm-hmm. and the impact of that. And <laughs> I, 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 no, nobody like foresaw that type Okay. Yeah. um, Even even folks who live in Mariupol, like it was. I think it was. I don't want to generalize too much, but Mm -hmm. for people Mm -hmm. in my family, it was definitely. uh, They were in a state of shock. It was, Um, and they fled. You know, on the twenty fled, meaning they left the apartment, uh, where my grandma lives um, and my aunt live, on the twenty fourth, and they went to hide in, uh, like a close family friend's basement. Mm-hmm. And they stayed in that basement uh, for the next 80 days. 80 days. 30, sorry. I gave this for That's okay. <laughs> three zero. Yeah. They're okay. So and like did, just about a month. Yeah. Did you uh, know where they had gone or like you were talking about Telegram earlier, or did you just know that you couldn't get in touch with them? Oh, man. Um, we kind of knew. It you was, had a suspicion. Um, it was chaotic. and. My mom, um, my mom knows the family friend, but like, I, there's been some moving around, and they moved, I guess, and so where we thought they were initially wasn't where they were. Anyway, I actually had to like figure that out using like <laughs> Google Maps and and um, like sc- screenshots and photos that people shared to like figure out where they were, what house it was in. And, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I kind of pieced that together um, yeah. myself, but yeah, no, we didn't, we, uh, and I guess my cousin knew, um, but yeah, that was the wrong address. I guess it was, mm-hmm. it was like that. I guess the, even not, and I, sorry, I'm not being very eloquent, but it was just okay. very, I guess my confusion is literally the state we were in right. for that whole month, because I was kind of angry that we didn't have that information. Mm-hmm. And I was angry, I guess, more at myself for not like asking the right questions at that mm-hmm. time. But everybody thought it was going to be a couple of days at most. Um, nobody went to that basement thinking like, you know, let me get my ducks in a row type of thing and mm-hmm. and tell everybody exactly where I am so they know in case I you know die um like people just thought I was gonna go hide uh and then come back the next day that's mm-hmm. how they, and then they ended up being there for like a month mm-hmm. so um yeah and and then we couldn't ask them any clarifying questions because the internet was cut off because they bombed you know the all the uh, towers and stuff. Um, so mm-hmm. we didn't even have a chance to clarify anything by the time we realized how bad things are. And it was your aunt and your grandmother who were in hiding. Uh, 
Yeah. I mean, everybody wasn't hiding, but that Your was cousins their well. story. Um, yeah. Yeah. My cousins, I still don't know exactly um, what happened with some of them, but um, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what do, do you, do you want to say anything else, else about that? Or is it, I, I'm sure there's security risks, you know, so I don't want to push you what, um, I mean, what are your, do you have guesses about your cousins or fears? Um, no, I mean, I don't know. Um, I try not to think about it too much, which is my own way of coping with okay. um, this okay. insanity, but, okay. um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think some people just, you know, are afraid. And I've noticed that like um, some people want to connect and some people don't, you know? So like the way people are processing this trauma mm. is very different. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, trauma is very individual. And, mm-hmm. and so um, I also like a little, you know, careful with, mm-hmm trying to connect or I don't know, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's what they want either. I understand. I understand. Yeah. What were the conditions in the basement like for your aunt and grandmother? Oh my God. They were, um, they were horrible. I mean, mm-hmm. it literally sounds like world war II when you talk about, um, especially cause it was besieged warfare. So what they did was they cut off everything they cut off a food supply water electricity heat everything and it was still like you know it's february and and the you know sort of winter is cold in mariupol um yeah um so it was still like negative temperatures um so in austin we experienced this like snow apocalypse a couple years ago and yes i remember didn't have electricity and, mm-hmm. and power for like a week. And, and then I, I sort of, when I describe these things to local folks, it's kind of like that, but without food or water or every, you know, for like months. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, uh, you know, initially there and was crammed with many, many people. Yeah. There was 15 other people there. Fifteen. So 17 people in a basement, no food, no water, no electricity, no heat. I mean, they had supplies, but it, mm-hmm. it got to the point where they were like drinking water out of the battery. Uh, and, you know, my aunt would give my grandma her, um, you know, ration. portion, mm-hmm. yeah, ration of food. Um, but yeah, like butterly functions would like stop working because there was like, you know, not enough water to drink. Uh, It's pretty horrific. Like people, you know, couldn't use the bathroom. Um, uh, And then as far as like eating and preparing food, um, everything had to be done outdoors because people were cooking on like open fires. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so um, even the act of cooking or heating up food um, was unsafe because anytime you go outside, you know, you would be exposed to like shelling and you never knew when something might, you know, fall on you. Yeah. And so their, their house got shelled like in the, in the like uh, garage area. So it was more of like a 
ripple effect, but I guess it was strong enough that like people fell over and part of like the wall fell on someone, but they were able to like, nobody died. They were able to dig everybody out. But my, my aunt was outside at that time and she like rushed downstairs to get my grandma Mm -hmm. who was, I don't know, you know, she had to like bury, uh, not bury, like take her out of the rubble. And I don't, yeah, like talking about it sounds like a movie or something. Yeah. Um, I just can't imagine what my no. what they went through firsthand. Like I have secondhand trauma. Of course. But um for them to have lived through that. Um yeah. and then like the day after they left, the whole house got bombed. Wow. Did yeah. they make a plan together as 17 people to leave or did mm-hmm. your aunt they did? Well, it was interesting. I don't know if all 17, my aunt got to a point where she's like, I, you know, I'd rather die trying to escape than die in this, you know, basement. Um, So she, and my aunt is like one of the strongest women I've ever Mm -hmm. known. She's very strong willed. And like, when she puts her mind to something, she'll get it done type of person. And, Mm -hmm. and so she was like, we need, we, we need to leave. And um, most people like didn't side with her. They didn't like the the person who had access to like the last vehicle there mm-hmm. was kind of resistant to the idea, was trying to wait it out. Um, mm-hmm. But it got to a point where I guess she persuaded them to like pack as many people into the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would like lay on top of people to be the, outlooker um, for like tanks and you know um, fire uh, open fire and so she would tell the driver like where to drive or what to avoid because they would they put buses uh, to block the roads preventing people from leaving the city Um, like so they it's not leaving the city like they straight up escaped or anybody who left Mariupol in the last three months they it, it was you know, an escape. Yeah. yeah. Nobody like left. <laughs> no, they were actively preventing people from leaving. The idea was to yeah, starve and execute as many people as possible. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't want anybody to get out. Yeah. So they, 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 uh, they ended up uh, getting through the, they got shot at, I guess the car did, did sort of, um, get some crossfire, uh, but they managed to all um, safely make it to like a close by village. Okay. And there were, did, were there checkpoints they had to get through along the way? Um, I think once they got out of like the city, um, like the, you know, the not city proper, but mm-hmm. Yeah, once they got out of like the Mariupol uh, territory, then there were checkpoints uh, managed by Ukrainians. No, they they went east, so they were they. That was um, my family is in the east part of Mariupol, mm-hmm. um, and getting across to the other side, you had to go um, uh, over like a bridge that got bombed. Mm-hmm. So. My 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 neighborhood, Lyubiery, uh, that's actually right next to the Azovstal power mm-hmm. plant or steel plant. Um, that was mm-hmm. 
you know, in the news towards mm-hmm. the end uh, of the yes. of the months of the uh, the city being besieged. And so, in order to get to the west part of the city, you have to go through the yeah. um, you have to go through the like the the plant, and then you go. They would the, never have made it. Yeah. No. Um. I mean, I I do know some folks that were able to plan like escape routes um but it was yeah um it was rare and those routes would change um because if they found out how people are escaping then they would you know uh, block that and then people had to get creative and figure out other ways but then once they got um once they bombed the bridge it was like uh, I guess even harder to try and um, uh, go west. So, um, so they went. They went east. Yeah, it's you know you know this. You read about it, but the uh, willful brutality yeah. towards civilians is very difficult to accept. They really wanted as many people to suffer and die as possible. I think so. I, I think that's fair, fair to say. Um, and what's, um, I mean, this, the, what they were doing to the city and, yeah. um, you can't like separate the city from the people. Of course not. <laughs> you know? Of course not. Like, of course they, not. Didn't even, they didn't even let, you know, um, uh, it's not like they emptied the city. Like this happened so fast. Like people didn't even have time to leave or flee. Um, so they just started bombing everything yeah. <laughs> on the 24th. Yeah. And, and denying, you know, humanitarian routes and breaking, yeah. exactly. breaking all of their um, ceasefires. Or, yeah. With the yeah. red, the, the red brokered by the red cross and, you know, or even sabotaging them, you know, shooting at buses and uh your grandmother had some underlying conditions before she went into hiding. Um, I mean, her eyesight was failing, mm-hmm. uh, but um, I mean, she's in her like late eighties, mid wow. mid to late eighties. So, like you know, just the toll of um, um, and she worked at the steel mill. Um, she did. So, so she, you know, like not the easiest lifestyle. Mm. <laughs> um, so you know, mm. I mean, she. Yeah, I mean, she had issues um, with mobility, but she still was able to go on walks. My my aunt was, you know, taking care of her in that way, like trying to like keep her mobile and active. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, spending a month in that basement, um, yeah, of hastened her, uh, yeah, health going. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they they had no choice but to go east. I mean, they had a choice, but the the choice was grim, right? So they they chose to grow go east, which is towards Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we keep reading about these filtration camps, and I don't know that there's a lot of terms that seem purposely vague. I feel like in the news right now. Um, mm-hmm. Did they go through one of those? If so, what is that? And my understanding is that they're in Russia now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have um, I have, uh, my aunt's daughter 
uh, my cousin. Um, she lives in St. Petersburg. She oh, moved. There. Okay. Um, so that was, that's where, like, that was the final destination was to go live with her now or mm-hmm. uh, get, get there. So, um, but obviously being Ukrainian right now in Russia is like, you know, not the best thing um, uh, in, in the world. I mean, there was always prejudice being Ukrainian mm-hmm. in Russia, but this is like, you know, mm-hmm. times a million now. Amplified. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. So, um, yeah, they're there. They're, you know, safe. But, um, yeah, you know, they don't, you know definitely don't want to be there. <laughs> right. Of course. So as they went through the Russians would accept them in, did they give them a hard time? Do you know what that process was like? Oh, well that, I mean, those borders were never fun to be honest. Uh, okay. <laughs> there's always so much tension um, mm. there, but yeah, to answer your question, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, they weren't put into a separate camp. Mm-hmm. They had to, um, like go through these checkpoints. I guess mm-hmm. that's what I understood their journey was. Um, and this is just their journey, right? Um, um yeah. And so yeah. my my aunt can be kind of strategic, mm. <laughs> uh, and so I'm not. I'm sure she sort of managed to navigate that in a way where, um, I don't know, or, you know, maybe fate or luck or not fate, fortune or luck played some sort of where they didn't end up in a, in one of the, um, sort of Ukra- Ukrainian, uh, camps, um, yeah. within Russian occupied territory. And then now they're, you know, displacing people into, uh, Russia proper, yeah, what are what are these camps? What's happening there? What's the idea behind them? And yeah, where are they sending people? I mean, from what obviously there is also like all like you said a lot of um, secrecy. Uh, mm-hmm. But what there are are um, <laughs> rehabilitation camps, right? They're trying to reprogram uh, people. Um, Mm-hmm. pretty much um i'm trying so, to do like an equivalent i mean this is like well yeah in the past a lot of times that's happened by you know air quotes uh forced labor you know uh so it's not quite uh i mean i'm sure possibly those intentions are there i mean um mm-hmm. gulags are not that far uh, off in history and mm-hmm. like um, everybody in their family has somebody who's been in a gulag, um, although that generation is sort of passing. Um, but yeah, no, this is more of like uh, re- reconditioning, uh, mm. assimilation camps. Oh, okay. that's what I was looking for. Um, so they're going to try and, you know, forcefully convert people's belief systems, cultures. Um, you know, there's like, Russian textbooks being imported, not even to these camps, just like city proper of like yeah. Mariupol now. And mm-hmm. um, so there's like cultural warfare, um, mm-hmm. ideological warfare and like, you know, people's, this is why genocide is um, 
describing like the erasure of yeah. the identities that are inhibiting, you know, um, those spaces in Ukraine that are now occupied by Russia. Um, and yeah. they're trying to turn it into some version, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever they want, um, which mm-hmm. is, I guess, Russian. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So your aunt and your grandmother are with your, uh, with 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 another aunt. It sounds like. Do I have that right? In St. Yeah. Petersburg. Um, with my cousin, yeah. With your cousin, okay. So your grandmother's grandchild, your aunt's child. Exactly. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. In St. Petersburg, and you believe that they are safe. Yeah, I mean, my grandma's been in and out of hospitals, but they're safe. You know. Mm-hmm. Is she getting adequate care in the hospitals or is being a Ukrainian affecting that? Oh, that's a great question. Um, there's a lot of bias. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's not even bias is like too late of a term mm-hmm. at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, things are also difficult because of just COVID as well. Like mm-hmm. that's not really under control um, and, and from what I understand and and um and and the important thing here is that the the impact that this is going to have on people that were in Mariupol for the for the for, for those t- uh, period of time that the city was besieged, the ramifications and the impact that that's going to have on people's mental you know physical uh, health, um, we are just starting to see you know the impact of that. Yeah. Like yeah. people are going to need a lot of care and attend like mental uh health and support and and like not to mention like starting lives over and yeah so yeah my my grandma being in the hospital is like a direct result of, of yes of war because like she was immobile um, in a basement like you know limbs atrophy and yeah. uh, there's no circulation so um yeah. Anyway, yeah, like, but that's just one example of the way that the war is now impacting people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, not war, but the besieged um, mm-hmm. specifically. The way the war is impacting people is even more insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, Do you have family in the rest of Ukraine that you're in touch with? Um. We have, um, so my aunt's, um, husband, partner, um, Mm -hmm. he's there now trying to get his kids out, Mm -hmm. uh, her stepkids. And I'm not, we're not sure we've been having a hard time connecting with him because, um, you have to stand in like a queue line for days to buy a SIM card for your phone. And you're only allowed to like use russian sim cards i guess at this mm-hmm. point so i guess he hasn't had um you know he's been having a hard time getting one of those um i see uh and then yeah uh yeah some folks decided to uh stay but um those are mostly like you know family friends or people grew up with and um like like second cousins and stuff Um, I see yeah I see I see well I asked you this at the beginning of the conversation and I I mean I guess I I guess I just feel like asking it again how 
how are you? How do you integrate this information into daily life? It seems like you could either try to cope with and process Mm -hmm. this, or you could live normal life. It almost feels like you couldn't do both. How do you go out for a walk, you know, while you're wondering if you're aunt is alive and you know now how do you go out for you know ice cream uh with the anger of what's happened to your grandmother you know how do you do this how do you do both at the same time well i will admit um Mm. (laughs) i needed a lot of therapy Mm. (laughs) yes i mean i don't talk about my mental health a lot but Mm. Um, I know people have said, you know, baking is a cooking is a great, you know, way to take care of it. And it absolutely is. But mm-hmm. like, this is another during, level. This is like this amount of, of trauma. Um, y- you need like trauma informed specific mm-hmm. interventions or support, like at least mm-hmm. I think most people do. And it makes me really sad that a lot of people don't have access to that. Yeah. But I was fortunate enough, um, privileged enough to have access to that. And so um, I was pretty much in like therapy every day uh, Mm. um, for all of March. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Besides uh, lots of therapy, um, I was also focusing on being helpful or useful. So I was doing a lot of um, baking, not so much as, self-care but more to raise funds and Mm -hmm. um although I think it was a form of like self-care in the sense Mm -hmm. of it helped me not think about anything Mm -hmm. yeah staying busy is a is a very effective coping technique it can't last forever but it's a really good thing in the moment so I had that in full Mm -hmm. swing for like that month um Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to like uh stay busy and uh, sell as many cheesecakes as I could. <laughs> so that was, um, mm. those, I guess those were the two main ways. Mm. And and then I guess the third way was just me um, trying to feel, um, uh, so it was like trying to use my research skills to figure out like the, the state of things in Mariupol and, mm. Um, you know, what has been bombed and like keep track of like street names and the statuses of things. And like, um, yeah, just through like this research that you could do on these um, t- um, social uh, network groups, mm-hmm. just kind of piece some sort of narrative together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started tracking all of that stuff and like spreadsheets and Google Docs. Um, I mean, the New York Times came out with like a map with like red dots on it that showed like the the uh, the buildings that have been bombed on. And I was like, if this could be interactive and live, like if, if it could be updated, but it ended up just being kind of like a photo, you know, and, mm. and having a stagnant photo is not very helpful because mm. when things are changing. Yeah, exactly. Hour by hour. Mm. <laughs> um, but anyway, it was sort of like I always yeah wanted to create something like more interactive um yeah yeah some of us Mm -hmm. go ahead you know you had to keep track of all of that Mm -hmm. by attaching photos to 
it's kind of like geotagging, you know. Um, but anyway, yeah, it just kind of gave me peace of mind if I could get like somebody would say, you know, got out. This building was in this state. You know, the first three um, entrances were destroyed, but the fourth and fifth are uh, still standing or something. You know, like it, it gave me a sense of like, I don't know, kind of keep me sane, even though I wasn't getting any like um, anywhere kind of closer to to connecting with anyone, but made me yeah. feel better. Yeah, some of us, I, I, I'm similar. Some like we data and information makes us feel better. Like you said, piecing together a narrative, piecing together a picture in our own mind uh, makes us feel better, even if maybe it paints a picture that is some of our worst fears. Somehow, just right. knowing makes us feel better. Um, other people, you know, my husband, it's either they're okay or they're not okay. The information doesn't right. tell him anything, um, yes. uh-huh. and I think that's just like you said. Uh, People need to cope in, in their different ways and and there's merit to both. And uh, I'm glad that helped you during the time. And I'm sure whatever information you were piecing together and uh, whatever oh my picture you were constructing was helpful to other people as well. Yeah, I was one of the worst ones was like trying to find out if people were alive. I will say mm. that like going through those lists. Um, How did you get the lit? Like you just kind of know enough of the names in the city that you would you would know exactly like I have I would have like the names that I was looking for or you know the people that I was trying to find um and then you would just try and find them in these lists that would come out Mm -hmm. as you know people that managed to get out um then they were like um um I guess um yeah people started getting out to like various points outside of Mariupol west and east and and there were like running lists of the people that would get out on these buses like rarely as it was but people were starting to kind of get out and so um they would tally those and write those out uh and share them on various places like sometimes it was just a screenshot that somebody took or a photo that they took of the names posted on a bullet board, you know, um, or somebody maybe started creating um, like their own Google Doc. Um, so it, it was just like a lot of piecemeal and a lot of like citizen driven, you know, data collection. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it still was like the closest you could get to learning of somebody's, you know, alive or not. Um, mm. uh, I I had never heard of Telegram before the war broke out. You, you What's that? I, I wasn't that. I, I used like WhatsApp mostly for like the non-American communication. Right, right. Yeah. WhatsApp. Yes. Agreed. That's what I use for my, um, my, my friends that don't live in the country. Is Telegram secure were there concerns about these lists or is it just everything so much chaos anyways and people need to know so they they put yeah. them up yeah no, i know i mean security was managed um in uh, to the best of everyone's ability yeah. you know um people then started kind of having a list of best practices mm-hmm. um, written out or pinned to the top of these groups so like don't share names 
definitely not the location um, kind of ask things. And so there were people then started being a little bit more um, aware, but initially it was like, you know, um, yeah, it was me. It was very chaotic. People were just being like, has anyone seen or heard or knows anything about this person at this location? Um, But yeah, that was tricky because that information could be used, um, you know. Right. If Russians were monitoring it, then they could, you know, find, especially if it had names of people who were, you know, fighting or. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a little bit of vetting of like seeing, but yeah, there's no way of knowing if anyone's being like genuine or whose side anyone is on. Mm -hmm. Um, I think most groups were like, not most, I mean, I, um, some of the groups were like, humanity humanity centric meaning like like we just wanted to find out if people were alive mm-hmm. and and, and there were admin and moderators who would you know get rid of any like propaganda or you know there there was a lot of um especially over time people kind of learned how to do that more effectively and like mm-hmm. um so yeah information got better but I talked to uh, Alisa, um, yeah, you know, at that like Insta Live, and yeah. now it's like people have no idea what's happening. Like we have to prepare ourselves for what's gonna start. Like in terms of the information, once we actually see what happened in Mariupol, oh, just how how horrific the crimes were and how high the death count is. You mean exactly? Yeah, oh. how mm. everything is you know in a really bad state um mm. and but then what started happening and uh is you know i guess that was like be- a month or two before the f- the city you know was officially occupied by russians mm-hmm. like there was still active um resistance and there was uh, hope that they weren't going to be um taken but yeah, now there's like the erasure that's happening of the crimes, right, that were committed. And so mm-hmm. all of that very kind of precious data that was shared in these groups, like the bodies, um, like images of, you know, dead bodies, graves, mass graves, um, you know, all, all of these things that are now being erased, like that never happened, you know, that I, like as a historian, like those telegram groups. Like I tried crucial. Like, yes. Exactly. Screen recording as much as I could of those wow. things. But you know, I also am not like a full time right. <laughs> you know, I can't do that. I mean, as much as I am trying to. Um, but yeah, I I tried and record as much of it because I knew that like mm-hmm. by the time that that information could be shared it might not even be accessible you know Mm -hmm. and there's obviously some insanely brave journalists who are risk their lives to get that information out Mm -hmm. Um, but it's it's so important not to lose those things um yeah so you think it's worse than you know even the pictures of the mass graves of 20 and 30 and 40,000 people. And, and it's just, I mean, that's, that's the more accurate, I think. Yeah. Um, representation of what happened. Yeah. Um, and now there's, you know, um, 
there's a cholera outbreak pretty much, I is think. There? There's a lot of people getting very sick. Okay. No running water for three months now. Yeah. Um yeah. You know, that means no sewage, right? Like yeah. that means <laughs> uh I mean that yeah, it's unsanitary and I don't people used to, you know, collect um snow yeah. to drink and rainwater but like yeah. that's a recipe for like yeah yeah ever, yeah uh, you know. yeah because there's waste in the streets and everything exactly. now um so uh, I, there are there are ukrainians who survived and are now just occupied in mariupol yeah yeah it's mm-hmm. terrifying okay yeah okay mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, and that's where, you know, like what's happening in these camps, they're trying to do that on like a citywide scale. Right, right, right. Yeah. And in Kherson as well and other places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, my, but Mariupol is not, you know, it, it, it's what 20% of Ukrainian territory is now occupied mm-hmm. by Russians. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a lot. Um, it's that's a lot <laughs> and ukraine is big i think people forget mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. big ukraine is so 20 percent of ukraine is a lot of that's mm-hmm. a lot of um people and land and, and when you yes it is it's a very significant portion one in five of every ukrainian and then when you consider that one in four ukrainians have left right basically 10 million mm-hmm. out of 44 million mm-hmm. So one in five are occupied, one in four have left. That really only leaves about 50% of Ukrainians that are still free. Yeah, no, it's... Because uh, yeah. you basically have 20, 20% and 25%, that's 45%, you know, um, that mm-hmm. have either left or in, are occupied. When you say um, when you say 20% is um, occupied, are you including the land that was taken in 2014? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that should never have happened. <laughs> right. Like yes. That was, um, anyway. Um, yeah. yeah. This mm. is so I have no, I, I have a couple other questions about the larger thing before we turn to yeah. your story. But um, one, um, well, yeah, and you, you can feel free to refuse to answer answer either of these i'm i'm you know i want to be super respectful uh one do you have hope for ukraine and two um living in america what are your feelings towards americans as they do or do not respond to this crisis mm. Okay, so the first question, do I have hope for Ukraine? Yeah, I, I, I definitely do. Um, I, um, so like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you can't um, convert people. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you, um, Especially I mean, not I, Ukrainian people that have resisted for so yeah, long. Exactly. With that type of, um, um, like, their value system, our value system is, is a, in a place where we're not going backwards. Mm, <laughs> you know, it's, it's tell like, me, tell me more uh, about that. Um, you know, Ukraine is built on values like freedom, 
mm-hmm. um, democracy, liberty, um, you know, freedom of expression, definitely to a great, to a very um, different extent than whatever that means in Russia. So um, to be occupied by somebody who's, view of the world is in complete contrast to that right because mm-hmm. um russian values right now are com- antithetical to those mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a totalitarian state there is no freedom mm-hmm. uh you can't express yourself freely um it i mean it's just the the value systems are um you know opposite and so i i think ukraine will not um like it will it will fight till the end um like i i um i don't think there's a a, this argument of like well it it would still be better you know Mm -hmm. if like that doesn't work. Yeah, it's it's that I mean famous quote. I I think I don't know. A historian can tell me. I think it's been debunked that this was actually Patrick Henry, but you know there's that famous quote during the American Revolution, give me liberty or give me death. That really seems to be the mindset of Ukrainians as if I don't have liberty, I might if we collectively exactly. don't have liberty, we might as well be dead. We've been fighting for this for hundreds of years. Now now is the time. Yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I would say as far as that fight goes, this is by you know I mean they're sovereign. It's, it's a sovereign mm-hmm. nation. Like, it is in in in, yeah. in reality that fight is over. It's just there's this uh, mm-hmm. entity that won't accept mm-hmm. it, right? And so mm-hmm. if anything, it's Russia that should be working. I mean, honestly, I think of it as like you know Russia just needs a lot of therapy. Um, like it has a inferiority complex and it has, um, like an existential crisis Mm. because most of the country's self-worth is in militarism. It's Mm. in this idea of, you know, the glorious past. And it's really sad because there's, there's nothing like current that builds them up. There's nothing that they're thinking about um like you know we i it, it's just so sad their self-worth the country's self-worth is based on things that don't matter anymore mm-hmm. and they don't know how to make peace with that um mm-hmm. while ukraine is a country with a future and it's thriving mm-hmm. and this you know neighboring country is looking at it like you know we'll show you you won't thrive um you know there's some of that in there too like mm-hmm. um i i think it's it's just a massive um yeah i i i'm thinking about nations is is kind of complicated and so sometimes it helps me to personify them mm-hmm. that's the exact well, word i was thinking the, of yeah the systems of governments are made up of people right mm-hmm. and so the belief systems of people then influence the you know the mm-hmm. the country's belief um or value system and so like i do think that just russian people need to find new value um and things it, like they need to let go of the past and mm-hmm. 
honestly, that can only happen in therapy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like that needs to happen in like trauma informed where you let go of regret or you let go of ones being this, you know, glorious, whatever empire. Um, they haven't, they haven't moved on. You they know? need a vision for the future. Somebody exactly. needs to give them a vision for the future. And well, it's not, whose job is that? <laughs> it's the, it's the, it's the young you know, mm. it's the young, and I'm certainly sort of not young in terms of like just age, but young or Gosh. open-mindedness or um, creativity and like innovation and daydreaming. Mm. And like, I, I think the LGBTQ plus um, community in Russia is like definitely where I go to feel hopeful. Um because that community is trying to change the mm-hmm. not just the government, but the 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 the, the, the mindset. Belief. Yeah, exactly. That makes it. Um, yeah, and you, Ukraine is just miles away in terms of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. that's that's one of the reasons why this tension is so intense. Um, mm-hmm. They're just in two different places. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like you've broken free. You're running away. You're looking towards the future, and somebody's just like grabbing you by the back of the shirt, trying to pull you down. And yeah, and you're thriving, right? Like Mm. Ukraine was really thriving. Like Mariupol was thriving. Mm. Like there was like all of these art initiatives. Mm. Like LGBTQ plus community in Mariupol Mm. was thriving. Um, The art scene, like movies. like independent, like film artists, mm-hmm. um, lots of cultural vibrancy. Not mm-hmm. that that hasn't been part, but this is just like a new version of that. And 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 it's like, you know, like when you don't want to see somebody you hate um, mm-hmm. thrive. I think mm-hmm. that um, fed that hatred and I, I keeps feeding that hatred, not just for Mariupol, but for all of Ukraine. And it's really messed up. It's um, it's it, not messed up. It's, I mean, that's an understatement. I just. Mm-hmm. It's I, sadistic. Yeah. Satanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To see, to just want other people to hurt. Uh, and it's genocide. millions of people to hurt. Say yeah. that again. And now it's genocide because he's literally it's genocide. killing yeah people based on their yeah uh, ethnicity yeah. based on yeah. their um, yeah identity. yeah and he seems intent on killing as many as people as possible it's not even that he's uh you know um it's not even that people are getting caught in the crossfire and he's you know a little blase about well if some citizens get hurt it's like he's targeting citizens he wants as many people to die as possible He'll make his job easier, right? Mm. Of like converting. Fewer to convert. Yeah. And obviously that, I mean, it's just like, I, 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 I don't, I don't know how people believe that people can change their minds like forced. Um, I mean, I think it's part of the Russian conditioning because Russia has ex- existed in a state of fear for you know, a hundred plus years of its own um, leaders or of the West or of who just ever, honestly, every type of fear. Um, um, and now they think now they're afraid that like they're, 
they're not gonna um well what's happening now is it's like west versus russia and um they think that you know america hates them uh but it's coming out of fear right like Mm -hmm. the if you think somebody hates you then you're insecure and you um see the worst in people these are just like um, well, and I mean, the, the West has taken plenty of steps that's affecting the average. I mean, that wouldn't be a difficult thing to spin, right? If you were in leadership in Russia, it would not be difficult to spin that the West hates you since the West has. Well, and I'm in support of this, by the way, like all the sanctions, right. but still it's, you know, I, I mean, really, like I, I have four children. Yeah. And when children are young, if you discipline them, if you give them a consequence, because what they're doing is hurtful to other people. They easily interpret that consequence as you're against them. You don't like them, you know, and that's even within the trusting relationship of a parent and child, you know, where you're actively telling them why you're giving them the consequence you would prefer not to, you know, you want them to make a different choice. So you don't have to give them the consequence. Like that's even within that relationship, children constantly come to the conclusion uh, it's it's a convenient conclusion for them to come to because they don't have to take responsibility for their own actions then, right? Like the parents just mean. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so all the more so it's, you know, of course, very easy for um, Russians to come to that conclusion now that the West hates them, um, which doesn't well, mean the West shouldn't follow through. Well, yeah. And, and just the foundation for this uh, us versus them mm. I mean, what Putin has been able to build over his regime of, you know, 30 years. I mean, this thing is solid, like this mm-hmm. fear, this idea. And then yes. this thing is just like, I mean, they, of course, reaffirmed, but that belief was already fully ingrained into, yeah. in, into their yeah. Uh, mind. The, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. I had Anna, I don't know if you follow Anna Karzeva. Um, she's Russian and she fled Moscow, uh, within the first couple of days. She, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. I had her on the podcast and she was just talking about, um, through her lifetime, the way that the propaganda changed and intensified and, um, how people yeah. are trapped in their minds. Yeah, exactly. And versus in Ukraine, you know, you actually have a president, have multiple presidents over the last, you know, 30 plus years. And Zelensky is, you know, uh, charismatic Mm. and uh, future thinking, uh, empathetic leader. And it's like antithetical to this whole idea of... um, you know, of this like, you know, totalitarian leader, which also I think is completely foreign concept mm-hmm. to Russians, right? Like they're just used to being afraid of um, their president, not so much of like, you know, the more American type of president where it's like, mm-hmm. I'm one of y'all, you know, type of. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so like, uh, I think Zelensky's um, leadership yeah, and definitely incredibly powerful leadership mm-hmm. um, is once again feeding into the fear of uh, of Russians. Um, well, it's, it's shaming Putin important. in a way, right? I mean, the contrast is just stark. It's so yeah, exactly. stark is exactly the word. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I um. I um. Uh, 
I mean, I know Putin has health problems, so not not to be too, (laughs) but he keeps seeing like a thyroid cancer doctor. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I mean, yeah, but I don't, it's not only just, um, right. We we try to get rid of the whole system. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. So we, you know, we brought up the West, how has it been being in America? Yeah. I mean, that's gotta be complicated. It is complicated. Um, um, well, one, I just want to say like the, the support that I have received from my community and by commu- communities, uh, the community here in Austin has mm-hmm. been incredible. And then the, the Instagram community um, so and then like the food community mm-hmm. um, and, and definitely like, I guess, people um, in my full time job mm-hmm. um, understood. Um so I just, you know, prefacing all of that mm-hmm. by saying, like, I was really overwhelmed and so grateful for everyone's support. Like, I uh, there was like a cheesecake shortage when I started <laughs> fundraiser, and and um, you know, I connected with bagel shops here in Austin, and they were like, you know, take our cream cheese. Um, That's incredible. Donate it. Yeah, it makes so me proud. Was, I'm glad. Yeah. No. Exactly. So, like, I don't want to under. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I understand. Yeah, there's layers. Um, but in terms of like not individuals, mm-hmm. um, I yeah, I mean, I don't want to get you know too uh, immigrationy or political, mm-hmm. but um, it could be a lot easier to like bring people here and mm-hmm. give them. But I live in Texas, so I I really like I can't even. It hurts my heart talking about immigration and refugees mm-hmm. well living in texas um and now being part of a you know community or uh ethnicity that's like a refugee uh mm-hmm. i don't know it's hard you know like in texas we have kids in, in in cages here so like i don't i don't know what to expect from mm-hmm. you know from people who are in power supporting um, so I don't, yeah. Um, as far as the, the system itself, I'm, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't Have know. you looked into getting your grandmother and aunt here and it would just be impossible because of us policy? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it would be incredibly difficult yeah. um, to do yeah. that right now. Mm. Especially now that they're not in Ukraine mm-hmm. or in the West, like if they were maybe in Poland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, getting anyone out of Russia right now is probably a no go. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's uh, I just wish people would be able to have more mobility mm-hmm. um, and support. You know, welfare is not something our country really believes in, especially not even for its own. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that our health care is tied to our employment is insanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so anyway, I want to separate the individual from the systems, you know. Mm-hmm. So the systems, I think, are failing us. But the support that I'm getting from individual people is just. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's sort of, on, honestly, that's like the American system of like, 
uh, donating, you know, that's a very, mm-hmm. like that's put often onto the burden on the, of the individual to mm-hmm. donate to causes, um, mm-hmm. fundraising, you know, there's not a lot of social welfare mechanisms that would do that on, I mean, our taxes would be higher, obviously, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, anyway, I, I know that we're not in New Zealand. Like I, I know that's not where we are at in terms of supporting people, but, um, Obviously, there's nonprofits who are trying to make it easier for refugees to kind of, you know, start a life here. And um, there's several um, here in Austin. And and obviously, there's lots of refugee nonprofits in Texas. uh, Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a backlog of work and priorities there, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, I'm, I'm in Texas. Like, just want to like, there's a huge problem here mm-hmm. with refugees mm-hmm. uh, that's not being addressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you doing? You've done. You've done a lot. <laughs> you've done a lot, um, and people have helped you. So, uh, well, first of all, let's back up. What is your full time job? And you came. You came to the U.S. to study for this role correct uh no i've um i've i guess um i do work at the university of texas at austin and what i do right now is very fulfilling i help phd students um get academic jobs and i help them you know achieve other type of professional development goals um but i'm not in my field of ancient history which is what i initially came mm-hmm. to ut to study and get my phd in um, so I'm not in sort of academia myself as, as, um, I think of myself as an independent scholar mm. and I think I, I finally am in a place where I can't be deprioritizing that work anymore. Like, yeah, I think the war has changed everything, all the priorities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of my priorities now, um, so I pitched this article to, you know, the New York Times yes. about trying to preserve Mariupol through mm-hmm. its food culture. Mm-hmm. And the impetus for that was I I had this, you know, like surge of like, I need to, I can't believe I haven't done this. I need to archive and record all of these uh, recipes. And, and so I started like creating a database of um, my family recipes and, and then the sort of the, the scope of the project started mm-hmm. to, you know, grow. Mm-hmm. And so right now it's mainly just, you know, like a spreadsheet or it lives in like a work management uh, system. <laughs> but, um, you know, I want to now make videos. I want mm-hmm. to uh, provide cultural context, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, I want to just create. Yeah things that can be preserved. Yes. <laughs> and, right. Yeah. And this is, this is, uh, this is a couple of things. One, it is an act, uh, an active act <laughs> of resistance, right? Because you've talked about the erasure that's happening, these filtration mm-hmm. camps where um, Russians are trying to right. russify um, people. You have a city that is now occupied by um an oppressor that is trying to wipe out everything. So in a way, this is an act of resistance, but it's also um, a gift that you will give to a generation, right? That, um, that comes up after this. 
Uh, it's funny. I never thought about it like that because, like, as a historian, I just feel like it's my my duty mm. <laughs> to preserve these things. Um, I have a lot of anxiety about not recording or like um, a lot of people make a lot of decisions about what data needs to be preserved and what's not preserved. And I always feel like it's not very holistic. And so I, I, I'm always worried that things that are really meaningful and important, especially on like an individual mm. level or like the lived experiences and stories of people are not being, mm-hmm. even in our information age, mm-hmm. um, are not being preserved. And so I also want it to be like an outlet for people to, you know, share their stories. And then I would kind of, mm-hmm. you know, um, make sure that they have a future and then they can mm-hmm. kind of live live on um, mm-hmm. and develop over time, um, you know. So, yeah. Um, I I I I can tell you from a maybe somewhat expert point of view, uh, just in the sense that you know I've interviewed so many people, um, you know, well over a hundred people, yeah. um, at at this point about their culture and their heritage and the food that reminds them of, and I can tell you. Um, so I was actually interviewed for a newspaper article the other day, and uh, they asked a question that that made me think about this. I have talked to so many people who said that um, two, two things, two important things. One, um, to affirm, two important things to affirm the work that you're doing. One, when they began to return to their heritage, the first place they went was their food. Um, I would say I've heard that from almost every guest who is a, especially guests who are like third culture or even fourth culture mm-hmm. um, adults. Another thing I've heard, again, this is especially for third and fourth culture kids or adults really that I talk to. Um, I've heard dozens of times now a true sense of grief that um, a recipe died with their ancestor, whether it was their parent or grandparent or even further back. Um, I've had many, many people say to me, I'm giving you this recipe. I wish I could give you another one, but I just don't know it. I never learned it. And so um, I think that what you are doing, like you said, right, you're one person, you can't preserve everything and you can't preserve it in every different way. Um, (laughs) But I think what you are preserving really is very significant. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, grief is the right word. um... Mm. And I think that process has pretty much like just begun for some mm. parts, you know, of the, mm. of the um, mm-hmm. you know, the destruction that people are witnessing. Obviously, there's grief for like people you lose, mm-hmm. um, but then, you know, the city, mm-hmm. the, the the buildings, the the streets, the I mean, the nature, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, and then that's why um, I mean, as an immigrant, like I. I <laughs> I have learned not to get too attached <laughs> to mm. things or materialistic things, especially, but, um, but it, it's like impossible not to grieve over those things. Oh, yes. You know, like my, mm. like um, one of the other things that's really painful is like losing photographs. Mm. 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 Yeah. Tell us about the Mario Pole that you remember. What has been lost? 
Oh, yeah, this. Um, so, yeah, I actually saw some of the early, like first images um, that came out that I was able to kind of get my hands on were mm -hmm. um, like the destroyed markets of Mariupol. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard because I have a lot of memories of uh, walking through those um, food markets, you know, like farmers markets here mm -hmm. in the US. Um, mm -hmm. They're everywhere in Mariupol. And there's like this big central um huge market like a, i don't remember it's like an acre or something i mean it's huge mm -hmm. uh, i would always be afraid of getting lost <laughs> as a kid. really um, it was that big yeah it was huge and like mm -hmm. um everything's really tight and crowded like in a, in a good way and there's um stalls and stalls of um so mariupol is a you know port city and so it the the food culture is very similar to other port cities, whether that's like Odessa in, in Ukraine or even like Marseille or, you know, Barcelona, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of, I want to write about this one day, but like mm -hmm. the, the food culture of port cities. Um, and so that means obviously lots of seafood, mm -hmm. lots of fish of like fresh fish, astoles, um, you know, there's ladies like standing there with like paper, like rolled up newspaper to shoot mm -hmm. the flies away. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, you know, um dried fish, I would say, is like emblematic of mm -hmm. Mariupol. Mm -hmm. Um dried fish is something that my grandpa would make like mm -hmm all the time like he would go fishing whether in the sea or there's a river um in mariupol as well and mm. there's like tons of fishing and he used to you know have like a daily catch come home um put it in like a a, a, a bucket with salt and so you you know let it sit in salt then you uh rinse it after uh, that and then you dry it um and so our balcony would have like you know strings of dried fish um mm -hmm. kind of swinging in the summer <laughs> breeze on the on the balcony Amazing. That was like, um yeah what yeah was and the you smell you would, was the smell strong it wasn't you know i think because it was um on a balcony the air was you know mm -hmm. circulated and there's it's like it wasn't i mean i also am biased because i love that <laughs> stuff, but, yeah um, mm -hmm. it, it never like mm -hmm. made mm -hmm things smell in, in a bad yeah. way. Yeah. It's a wonderful smell for you. Scent. It's a scent. It's not a smell. It's a wonderful oh, yeah, scent. Exactly. Yeah. That's mm. a good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. No. Um, and we, it, it was like, you know, family snack, we would eat dried fish as a family. That was like wow. a big, big thing. Um, and the type of fish is, um, very, it's specific to, um, uh, Ukraine. It's mm -hmm. the little goby goby mm. fish um and this is in the black sea or in the river uh this is um I, I, that's a good question i think there's mm. different types of goby varieties mm. uh, some that are um but um um they're called bichki mm. yeah that's the um ukrainian mm -hmm. um name for those fish and you can find them in like you know um Eastern European food markets. Um, I see. Uh, but yeah, it's um, anyway, dried fish is, um, you know, like watch is funny. We would we used to watch like telenovelas mm -hmm. and uh, 
eat dried fish um, <laughs> or like my grandma made like the best um roasted sunflower seeds mm. um, oh yes like freshly roasted okay okay so the sunflowers that you see um like i associate them more with kirsten and stuff like that you see i don't know if i'm pronouncing that city correctly either oh, you oh, had yeah. those you had those everywhere as well mm-hmm. oh, oh yeah okay. you know Hirschland has a very similar um food culture to Mariupol. It's in okay. the South. Um, it's next to water. Um, so lots of fish and food as well. And mm. Um, mm. yeah, same type of um, climate. So the things we grew are, yeah. And it's, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's incredible mm. anywhere you are. And, and just like, if you look at um, the photos of, the summer homes and summer mm-hmm. kitchens i mean that people have it's all very similar like grapevines because mm. in the south mm. there's like my grandparents's uh house like had grapevines mm. everywhere um front yeah. yard side yard backyard wow. um very mediterranean it's it, it this is why it's a port city and i think yeah. of it I think it needs to be contextualized within the mm-hmm. greater like Mediterranean culture. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What else, what, what else would you do? Like the, the mornings, the evenings, how would you spend them? Oh yeah. Um, so lots of trips or walks to the beach. My, my mm-hmm. grandparent, my maternal grandparents' apartment um, is like on this boulevard that oversees the coast and so you mm-hmm. can see the water and the beach from my grandparents apartment um window and so we used to go to the beach like all the time um and there's this slope that you have to go down and it's a pretty steep slope mm-hmm. um um and going down was always fun but then like after the beach <laughs> go back up the slope. <laughs> and you're sandy so. and carrying beach chairs <laughs> yeah Oh yeah, we didn't really have that concept of beach chairs. You just uh, lay on the sand. <laughs> exactly. But towels and you know, mm. uh food uh mm. would be sort at least I mean, usually you would eat all the food by the time you go back. But, um, <laughs> it's mm. funny, Russian uh and you, you know, there would be a lot of um uh Russian and like Ukrainian and like every I mean, those are just the two main ethnicities that um are part of Mariupol, there's also uh, other ethnicities. Um, mm. There's the Greek mm-hmm. ethnic community that, um, uh, so I guess I said it's multicultural, mm-hmm. but it's very multi-ethnic um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, but anyway, on the beach, it's more of like a picnic. It's kind of mm. funny to talk about this more, but yeah, you always eat on the beach. Like that is kind of part of like the social contract. <laughs> I'm going to the beach. So we would eat everything from uh, sandwiches, like open faced sandwiches to um, corn cobs to sunflower heads. Um, I mean, it it would be pretty kind of um, ice cream. um, Mm. And that's that one is kind of like common everywhere. But um, yeah, lots of eating on 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 the on the beach. <laughs> mm-hmm. This seems like a good time to talk about the recipe that you gave, uh, gave us. 
Yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah, so tell me, um, because this is this is very much associated with your grandfather and the fish that he made, yes? Um, you could definitely use goby for that recipe. You can mm. pretty much use any sturdy, st- sturdier white fish. So not something like tilapia, which is really thin and flat or flounder. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as it has like a little bit of, of body to it. Um mm. Yes. Yes. This is, I think one of those recipes that, um, it, it really couldn't be any more simple. It sounds like, and it's just a matter of having the right and best and freshest ingredients, which is what you had there. I think that's true literally for all Ukrainian cuisine. Really? This is interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So the quality Mm. of produce in Ukraine is um like on a different stratus i mean it's literally like the best type of heirloom farmer's market you can think of in california you know like somewhere where you think of like the best produce um Mm -hmm. in the u.s like ukraine is um it has that you know dark rich um black soil Mm -hmm. that's full of minerals and it just produces incredible so like kherson Mm-hmm. And and Mariupol both uh, uh, that's where like these huge beautiful like tomatoes um mm-hmm. to uh, grow like um mm-hmm. anyway I mean everything you grow there is delicious mm-hmm. but the yeah the, the yeah. produce there are mind blowing. Do you miss the produce here in the U.S.? Yeah, sometimes you know it's like a moment where I bite into something delicious and I'm like, oh, that tastes like <laughs> mm, it tastes like Ukraine. <laughs> Exactly. Or mm. yeah, mm. it's always like that. I, I always go there. Mm. Um, mm. <laughs> I That's like my um, yeah measure that I use. Mm. That's the best compliment you can give a piece of produce. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone has their own, like, obviously my like Georgian friends, like they're like, well, cause you have never, you know, tried the food from <laughs> Georgia or Armenia or, you know, like, um, I mean, anywhere where things grow, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the only thing I would say that I, I would need to ask about is um, in terms of that is, so obviously a lot of us, um, uh, the the podcast goes to dozens and dozens of different countries. I think it's been uh-huh. in the top, um, top 100 food podcasts in over 25 countries at this point, but 75% of listeners are in the U S. So mm-hmm. for those of us in the U S talk to us about our choice of, um, onions and our choice of fish to make this taste as close as possible, um, as to how you would have tasted it, tasted it in Mariupol. Yeah. Of course. Uh, I thought about this a lot, you know, I'm an immigrant. So my whole food philosophy is kind of informed by that identity. And so, um, you can't, um, so I was kind of stuck in this mode of, I want to recreate things, uh, to be as closely to the thing, you know, that I miss the most. And, and I do that. Um, and the way you could do that with this recipe is to really focus less on, necessarily the fish although the flavor of the fish is mm. important but it's really the sauce um it's it's okay it's tomato sauce that's mm. uh, and the combination of fish that's um as i think i told you is like emblematic of of yeah the 
craniness of this dish. It's there's something about tomato sauce and fish that um, just go together and people yeah. um, in, in this part of Ukraine, especially love that combination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the sauce um, in order to get the sauce, right. You have to um, make the recipe a couple of times because you might mm. add a little too much tomato juice um, mm. like the first time you make it, or you might not add enough. Mm-hmm. And so the consistency of the sauce by the time it kind of cooks down needs to be, I guess maybe like pizza sauce um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe like a, a pasta sauce, uh, maybe a little thicker, but not quite like tomato paste. Um, I see. Although I would say like yes. maybe a little bit closer to that type of mm-hmm. thicker. So it but, shouldn't be watery. But really uh, deep and rich. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm, uh-huh. mm-hmm. Um, and then like the sweetness of the onions. And that's why it's important mm-hmm. to... Um, caramelize those not fully and mm-hmm. i know people are always surprised by how long caramelizing takes. <laughs> and this is not even like the full-blown caramelization mm-hmm. but it does take like 20 to 30 minutes to mm-hmm. get them where they're um really sweet and soft and yeah. so you you're saying don't that. turn up the heat and rush this one yeah yep mm-hmm. yep i um i would not recommend that um okay so take your time do it slowly um, and then I guess you can enhance that sweetness by using a sweet, uh, onion and in America, the most common is like the Spanish, mm-hmm. you know, onion that you yeah. can buy in most grocery yeah. stores. The Vidalia. Yeah. So I would say, um, just use that or, I mean, any onion that goes through the process of, you know, caramelization mm-hmm. will get sweet. Um, okay. so as long as it kind of gets to that point. Um, you you should be good. And then my mom's kind of signature addition to every dish is the bay leaf. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't forget the bay leaf. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I will, we will not forget the bay leaves. It's <laughs> <laughs> my mom's secret ingredient. Yes. Like, and again, that Mediterranean culture, right? They all share that that bay leaf. Yes. Even Ukraine, I know Ukraine gets excluded from these narratives all the time. Drives yeah. me crazy. Um. And that's why I'm such a big advocate yeah. for like, you know, kind of making sure that that's part of the conversation. Uh, and right. obviously like Olya Hercules has done such an incredible yeah. uh, job of making sure that people know the diversity of Ukrainian cuisine. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But she's, all, you know, she's also one human. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I sense a lot of work in the future coming from you on this a lot, a lot. You've, you've, you've already done so much. And now, so as like, uh, am I, am I, am I characterizing this properly? If I were to say that initially when the war broke out and especially when you didn't even know where your family was, you were really focused on crisis management. You were baking cheesecakes, selling them, raising money, uh, sent who, who were you raising it for? Uh, I, UNICEF Ukraine. UNICEF Ukraine. Okay. And now you're kind of transitioning into um, less crisis and more um, a longer form work that's more focused on the future and preservation and using your historical, um, your degree in history and skills. Is that correct? Yeah, I think yeah. I think so. I, I am still fundraising. I'm working actually now with a local nonprofit called Liberty mm-hmm. Ukraine. Um, and they're 
um, raising funds specifically for uh, people um, in the front lines and and mm-hmm. where most of the fighting right now is happening mm-hmm. in Dumbas. So um, mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. I'm still trying to help you know them. Are you doing that only through cheesecake or through your breads as well? Um, I don't have the bandwidth for both. Um, mm-hmm. I'm focusing on um, whatever I can produce the most of. Um, mm-hmm. So um, and che- I'm kind of like known for that item, and so mm-hmm. it, it's the popular. cheesecakes. Yeah, the bird okay. box cheesecake. Um, and the Spanish connection. I, although I've never lived in the Basque uh, region, I'm I moved uh, to Barcelona in 2001. So my my okay. parents have lived there and. So Spanish food culture has been part of my um, existence. Um, I, I know people are, get a little bit like, why do you bake these things? But I also love baking things from all over the world. Like if you look at my Instagram, it's, um, yes. you know, kind of um, multi, although now it's Panatone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it used to be all over. Yeah, your Panatone is incredible. It's so impressive. <laughs> Uh, it took a lot of sweat. Um, um, and yeah, I just, I, I wish I could bake more, uh, but because I'm managing it, so many other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to kind of, hopefully um, I'm, I'm going to launch a Patreon soon. So yes. if the, if I meet some of my funding goals for that, mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that I could maybe transition out of my, you know, full-time role at UT and, um, and do this type of cultural work, um, food work full, full time. That that's like the goal. And I've, it's kind of like used to be like a longer term goal. And now it's like, I, yeah, it's been accelerated or, um, you know, things are literally disappearing in front of my eyes. I, I, Mm -hmm. I need to, I need to do this, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if people do want to support you, um, in either of these raising money for it can, well, can I ask another question? This mm-hmm. might be sensitive also. So feel free. Is there a reason you switched, um, switched organizations? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think when I first started this, I just wanted to make sure that like money, you know, was going uh, to a good cause. And mm-hmm. now I kind of gotten, I have like more specific intentions with how I want to help. Um, and so I, I think the immediacy of, it's also it, the way this is happening is really interesting. So obviously the money goes to this nonprofit, but mm-hmm. then the money gets distributed to people on the ground. Yeah. Right? So I can't share the details of who those I understand. folks are, but the the money will then kind of, you know, everything from supplies to, you know, um, medical uh, equipment, like, and and just the money goes into actual individual hands. I know? understand. Yes. I, yeah, I follow other people who are doing it this way. So if, um, if people even wanted to contribute directly and not even necessarily go through um, buying a cheesecake, the, yeah. the name of it is Liberty, the Liberty, the Liberty Fund. You'll send me a link that I can put in the show notes. I would love to send you a link. Yeah. yeah. Liberty Ukraine. Um, and it's a nonprofit based in Austin, Texas, that okay. like some of my friends started. Um, and they're incredibly trustworthy. Yes. Humans. Yeah. They're you can vouch for them. Incredible things. But 
Um, I think in general, it tends to be more effective to contribute to smaller, more grassroots, more immediate uh, organizations in a time like this as well. Maybe at the very beginning when there was so much chaos, like you said, it's just as much as. um, Okay. So then if people um, want to support that, then um, I will have that link in the show notes. And then how about if they want to contribute to your work or buy one of your cheesecakes, um, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, so right now, as far as cheesecakes go, I operate uh, using Hot Plate um, mm. as the ordering system. So I have a Hot Plate link in my Instagram. Um, I can always uh, share that. So if you want to buy a cheesecake for somebody you might know in mm. Austin, <laughs> you can always do that. Or if you want to buy a cheesecake and donate it, um, that people have done that from you know all over the world. But yeah, I, it, you don't have to go through me, just donate directly to the nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And then as far as my work, my mm-hmm. you know uh, cultural cultural and historical preservation work, mm-hmm. uh, I'm gonna launch my patreon. I don't know if in time for this episode, but um, you know it, it's gonna have like a range of ways you can support sure. on a monthly basis. and um, there's like a tip jar. Um, yeah. <laughs> there, so it could be like a really tiny, um, but yeah, very all amounts. I, I've you know, it being in the world of academia, funding has um been part of my existence, and, mm-hmm. and so like I'm mm-hmm. very, yeah, where, yeah, yeah, but there's a way can they get on a list so that they will be able to, um, to like be notified when you launch. Oh yeah. I have a newsletter. Yeah, perfect. Sorry. Perfect. Yeah, Good. I, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yes. I have a, I, I have a sub stack newsletter. Perfect. That I use both for like the baking side of things. So I send out like a, a menu um, when I have mm-hmm. a menu and then also just kind of updates. Uh, and so when I launch my Patreon, I would announce it in my. Perfect. Um, Perfect. Okay. And then I do you have time? I've kept you for a really, really long time. And I'm not going to cut much of this because I think it's a really important episode. Um, Do you have time for me to ask you one more question? Yeah, I have time for one more. Uh Okay, I appreciate that so much. I it was actually the very first one I was supposed to ask. But I, I, I noticed that your name is Olia, but you go by Olga. And I see this name, Olia, a, a lot. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I wish I had a, a better answer. <laughs> it's a very common name. Uh, I will say that to explain the difference between Olga, Olga, Olga. Um, mm, it's um, not so different. Form, it, there's a letter difference and it makes kind of the world difference. But mm. Olga is the diminutive version oh, of okay. Olga. And most people go by Olga. Okay. Um, they're... And so actually when I immigrated my, you know, I could have uh, advocated or if, uh, you know, I wasn't, a, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I could have um, uh, went with Olya, but, um, you know, Olga is kind of more formal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, yeah. I see. Uh, transliteration of names is I really see. a good thing when you like, you know, move around a lot uh, and you have a lot of identities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, Well, and yeah. when you say Olia, there's a little bit of a sound back there. Maybe it's a sound that Ukrainians make that American English doesn't capture. Oh yeah. No one can say that. 
<laughs> that one letter, uh, like, just don't even, don't even try. <laughs> I see. I understand. I understand. But I don't mind anymore. I used to care. I, I was like, I honestly care more about just using a name I feel comfortable with, you know, mm. instead of worrying about what other people are comfortable and, with. <laughs> and which one is that? Which one do you prefer? You know, I go back and forth on this, but mm. I think this is like, I'm much closer to Olia than I've Olia. ever been. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, then that's what I'm going to say in the <laughs> intro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Although clearly I can't pronounce it properly, but hopefully you'll forgive me. <laughs> it's all about, you know, trying, right? So, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just trying to be as respectful as possible. So. Well, we did talk about a lot and I do appreciate your time. Um, I think it's just really important for, I just don't want Ukraine to become a buzzword any more than, you know, any of these countries that are um, dealing with so much oppression uh, that I want, want any of them to become a buzzword. And that's why I think it's really important to hear people's personal stories. I know it's very difficult to talk about um, and I really appreciate you taking the time and investing that emotional energy because I'm sure it's very draining. So thank you. Yeah. And I, I will say, I know we didn't talk about this, but like, mm. you know, the genocide part of, of this war, mm. this is not new, like mm-hmm. Ukrainians and all of the other ethnic um, mm-hmm. uh, minority groups within Ukraine. So like Ukrainian Greeks, um, Ukrainian um, Jews. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like everyone has been, uh, under some, like everyone has gone ever like generationally, right. Mm-hmm. There has been genocide. Like my great grandfather was part of like the, um, Greek genocide mm-hmm. of 1937. Um, and, and like, I mean, that's just one example. So mm-hmm. for, for it to be happening again, for, for Ukraine to be once again, targeted um Mm -hmm. i think why this war is just so like why ukrainians will fight um because this is happening again and Mm -hmm. there's generational resistance now like built into our dna Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. that we just there's we will fight um Mm -hmm. it's just part of our genetic makeup because of all the the Mm -hmm. oppression genocide that we have all gone through Mm -hmm. generationally yeah and i think it it is also why you know preserving the cuisine and culture of mariupol is so important because um like you were saying it was such a multicultural city so you're really preserving that um as well that part of ukrainian culture yeah, and I know we didn't talk about it, but like there's villages around Mariupol, like Greek ethnic villages, like where my um, father's side is from. And like those small pockets of cultures are under insane threat. Like mm-hmm. it's just terrifying. Um, they have their own language. Um, anyway, it's like, I and so so there's like levels of erasure, you know, Mm -hmm. happening like Mm -hmm. Ukraine as a country, as an ethnicity, and then all of the uh, other, um, you know, identities that make up Mm -hmm. Ukraine are being uh, targeted and erased. And Mm -hmm. I just want to, and the fact that that has already happened in the 30s, the 40s, 
in the 1900 when people were uh, in the early 19th century I meant um when people were displaced um the Greeks and the Crimeans and the Tatars were displaced and when Russian imperialism just happened under Catherine so like it, it's just been happening generationally yeah. for yeah. hundreds of years and I yeah. think it like will stop now <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah I'm I'm well, ending I hope on so. a full note yeah I hope so I hope so yeah yeah I'm gonna send you an episode um she was one of my earliest guests, like within the first three months, maybe of the podcast. And, um, her grandfather left right before Holdemore. Oh and, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, he literally never saw his family again, ever. And, um, he was 12. He just left on his own and she went back. It's an unbelievable story. She went back and found her family, like in this remote village, she walked in and there was the same picture on the wall was like the only picture that her family had of um, the siblings. And she found her brother, sister, like basically right before she died. It's really powerful, but yeah, I mean, this entire family was separated. I mean, she's, she's happy. She lives in the U S she, she likes the country, you know, but the truth is he never should have had to leave. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, and and we've just lost so much over the last how many hundreds of years, and mm-hmm. I just I can't keep losing stuff. Yeah, I yeah. can't take it anymore. Yeah. I've lost so much already. Yeah, I have some crazy stories from my family history. If we ever talk again about my grandparents were like prisoners in German labor camps, and it's really? kind of. But um, mm-hmm. story for another time. Yes, I, I would love to maybe like come back and just talk about like you know the Greek, um, Ukrainian cuisine and yeah. like that sub genre. <laughs> it's fascinating and it's also heavily influ- influenced by the Crimean Tatar um, yeah. food culture. But yeah, uh, I, I would love that. I'll put that on my um, on on my list of future episodes and yeah. reach out maybe like in the new year and we'll just kind of yeah, see how exactly. the patreons come in and everything like that yeah yeah that okay well, Becky, thank you so much this was really fun and um, thank you oh i don't know about fun for you but <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully helpful well, and i meaningful. like talking to other people so yeah, yeah. it's definitely difficult uh but you know in a in a meaningful kind of yeah way good so. i hope so Okay. Well, we'll talk soon. I'll be in touch. Um, I'm looking to release in about two, between two to three weeks. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I'll be in touch um, as I get closer. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, if anything needs fact checked or yeah, any, yeah, anything it's, I can do to support. That you. sounds great. All right. Thank you, Olia. <laughs> Have a great bye, day. I'll talk to you later. All right, okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you all so much for making it through uh, this episode with me. All of the places that we mentioned, um, all the links that we discussed are in my show notes. I hope you go visit and um, follow Olia for just more updates and uh, better ways to help and um, everything that she has coming our way. I'd also like to ask you to please subscribe in a player to this podcast if you haven't yet. Would you also leave a five-star rating or review? That helps me so much and it would mean a lot to me personally if you would do that. 
I think there was something else I was going to ask you to do, but I don't remember it right now. And it has been a long episode. So I will just say, I hope you have a great week, my friends. And I will be back next week with Saima from Pakistan. Have a great week, my friends.